Welcome. I'm so glad you're able to join us uh, via the live stream. I pray this message will be a blessing for you and that it will be worth the time that you're investing in spiritual things. I want to invite you to uh, pray with me as we begin. Father, thank you so much for giving us the means and the tools to stay connected somehow during this time of isolation. Father, I again ask for your spirit to give us unity and through your word, Father, a personal experience of your presence and uh, your voice speaking to each of our hearts. Father, I sense my lack and imperfections. So Heavenly Father, grant me wisdom, clarity of thought and flow, that um, what is spoken, what is shared, will be of great benefit, a great blessing to my friends. This bless blessing I ask for in the name of Jesus. Amen. So we're going to be talking about something that this whole weekend revolves around, the sacrifice of Christ. And I want to invite you to have your uh, Bibles open. Uh, we're going to be looking at a passage that is quite well known. And in this passage, we will find the path of salvation for every human being. Sometimes we speak about, you know, are you saved? Are you not saved? And uh, we leave it like that, simply as, well, let me see what I feel. Well, our feelings are not the best uh, determinant as to whether I've experienced something or not. I'm hungry, but I eat something and the hunger is gone. Feelings come and go. But conviction and assurance, that is something that is achieved through faith. And oftentimes, the, the faith has to confront and go against our feelings. I want to invite you to open your Bibles to Luke chapter 23. Luke chapter 23, the context is Jesus has just been to Pontius Pilate. He's been sent back and forth between him and Herod. And uh, Pilate is trying to take this troubled hot potato, this uh, person that he doesn't want to deal with and have someone else relate that, someone else punish him or set him free. I don't want to be culprit. I don't want to be put in this situation. And, and Pilate is uh, seeking to not get involved and eventually he just has no other recourse but to make a decision. And he's realizing, I need to set Jesus free, but he doesn't. And he turns him over to the mob, to the soldiers, and to the Jews, to the uh, religious leaders. And um, Jesus is about to get crucified. And we're going to be picking up in verse 33. Actually, start verse 32. Uh, verse 32 says, Two others also, who were criminals, were being led away to be put to death with him. And in this morning's message, uh, Christ and these two individuals will be our focus. These two criminals. Verse 33, when they came to the place called the skull, they were crucified with him and the criminals, one on the right and the other on the left. But Jesus was saying, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they cast lots, dividing up his garments among themselves. And the people stood by looking on, and when the rulers were sneering at him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself, if he is the Christ, the Christ of God, the chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up to him, offering him sour wine, and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. 38. Now there was also an inscription above him, This is the king of the Jews. 39. One of the criminals who were hanged there was hurling abuse at him, saying, uh, Are you not the Christ? In some translations, the New King James has blasphemes. Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. 40. But the other criminal answered and rebuked him, saying, 
Do you not even fear God, seeing you are under the same condemnation? 41. We indeed are suffering justly, for we are receiving what we deserve for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. 42. And, as, and he was saying to Jesus, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you today, you shall be with me in paradise. This last um, in, historical encounter between humanity and God through Christ summarizes the entire salvation experience. Because we're not as familiar sometimes, I certainly wasn't, and I grew up in the, in the home of a missionary. Um, it doesn't mean anything to have grown up in the house of a Christian. We all start out the same, basically. If there's an advantage, is that there's a Bible at home and parents will read it. But though those outward advantages may be present, it doesn't mean that people take advantage of them. And I certainly didn't. And I did not take advantage and appropriate these opportunities till I was in my mid-twenties. But I'm glad I did. I'm glad I finally discovered it. Uh, I'm going to pause right here and kind of backtrack a bit in regards to an experience that I had that, that is related to this. In 1984, my family came to the States. As I just told you, I grew up in the home of a missionary. Um, and my dad was asked to come and do mission work in Pennsylvania. Uh, at that time, uh, all the Hispanic population in New York City was starting to explode and they were tired of the cramped, uber expensive rent. And they discovered that there's more to the United States than New York. Of course, they couldn't get all the uh, foods, the local foods that were present there in the Dominican neighborhoods, Puerto Rican neighborhoods, Cuban neighborhoods, Argentinian neighborhoods. I am from Argentina originally. Uh, so they began to spill out into Virginia and Pennsylvania. And this great outpouring of Hispanics caused the churches to realize there's a lot more Hispanic, Spanish-speaking people, but we don't have any Spanish pastors or, or people to work with them. And so they brought my dad from Bolivia, where he was serving, to the United States. And that was 1984. My dad came first, and uh, six months later, my family joined him. And um, it was so good to be together with dad again, I have the whole family together. And a few days after being in the States, um, we were staying in an apartment that um, was owned by the church. And um, one morning, my dad calls my brother and I and says, uh, we're in a different country. You need to learn some things about this country. And he um, called us to his side and he pulled out something from his pocket. He pulled out some coins and um, placed them before us. He also took out a dollar bill, a five dollar bill. And he began to say, you know, these are dollars. The currency is different here. And uh, you guys are going to be helping us out. Actually, I'm going to teach you how to say milk and bread and cheese and etc. So you can go to the store and purchase this. Um, so he began to explain to us currency. And of course, you know what this is, right? This is a quarter. But the quarter wasn't hard because it was the biggest one. This is what tripped me up. My dad said, this coin is worth five cents. This one is worth 10 cents. And I looked at my dad and I thought, dad, are you sure you don't have it backwards? Because shouldn't this one that's bigger be worth 10 cents and the smaller one? I mean, dad, just put them next to each other. It is what you're telling me is illogical. It doesn't follow reason. If this is 25 cents, which is the biggest one, 
then the 10 cents should be the next one, and then this one should be 5 cents. It's the lightest, smallest one. My dad looked at me and said, I know, son, but you have to trust your dad. This one is worth more than this one. And though your eyes and your reason are telling you something else, you're going to have to use faith and love to trust your father, to trust your father. You know, we have many versions of salvation across, across the globe, across humanity. Every religion has some sort of form of salvation, a version of it, nirvana, etc. For Christians, we have to grapple as to what salvation means to me, for me. For some Christians, salvation is the avoidance of hell. God sent Jesus to save me from hell. I want to share something from the scriptures in regards to salvation. In Matthew, the first gospel in the New Testament, it tells us right off the bat something about salvation. In Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, when the angel Gabriel appears to Joseph and explains to him the mission of Jesus and his name, uh, verse 21 says, Matthew 1, 21, She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their... He doesn't say from hell. He says Jesus saves us from sin. And for many Christians, myself included for many years, I assumed because of the movies and some of the cartoons that I watched, um, that what I needed to be saved from, from was from that lake of fire, from hell. And so, you know, oh, I don't want to go there. I don't want to go there. I'm so glad God the Father sent Jesus to save me from that. But the Bible doesn't say Jesus saves me from hell. Jesus saves me from sin for a reason. And we don't have time this morning to explain everything. But I'm hoping I'm beginning to lead you and, and, and invite you to ask yourself, what have I thought salvation really is about? What, what, how do you experience it? I mean, if someone tells me, I used to sell um, chocolate from a Greek family in uh, Pennsylvania, the Matangos family. They used to make handmade candies that they would cover with chocolate. It's a good job because my boss, Pete Matangos, when I first started working there said, I don't want you to tell people it tastes good. Oh, this one's good. This one's good. Uh, I want you to actually eat them. <laughs> he has like 31 different kinds of candies. And I was like, he was like, I want you to taste everything that I sell and eat as much as you want, within reason. <laughs> um, but what I, when people ask you, what does this one taste like? I want you to be able to explain it from experience. And as Christians, some of us know what I'm saying when I say you, you describe salvation from experience. But for some of us, Christianity is someone else's experience. Christianity is someone else's story. It's my dad's story. It's my mom's story. It's my grandma or someone else, my best friend. Do you know salvation? Did you know that Jesus doesn't save you from hell? That that's not the whole purpose God the Father sent Jesus from? But rather that to save us from sin? Many people don't know that. And so they think they're experiencing salvation, but they're experiencing something totally different. Um, we had a neighbor named Mr. Lou, and you have to understand, we landed here, 
and my brother and I knew some English, <laughs> some, meaning I knew how to say pencil, pig, table, chair, because we did learn English in uh, Bolivia, in Argentina, but those were like little, you know, sparse words, disconnected, not sentences or phrases. Uh, and my brother and I, we thank God, picked up English quite, quite quickly. We had a neighbor named Mr. Lou, and he was the kind of neighbor that was a neighbor. He was friendly. He said hi. He welcomed you to the neighborhood. And uh, there weren't that many of that kind of neighbors left. And um, I'm thankful that there still are neighbors like that still around. I hope you're one of them. Mr. Luby friended us. And the beauty of this is, is we spoke to each other in sign language for about several months before we could finally start getting a grapple of the language. Mr. Lou never quite picked up on Spanish, but we picked up on English. And as a sign of good gesture, Mr. Lou one day shows up in, in uh, he comes out of his house and calls us and says, I have something for you. And um, with sign language, I have something for you. And he brings a bag, a plastic bag. And uh, what we look at, we, we think, we visually interpret this to be a pastry, a crunchy pastry coated with this molasses, with this sugar. And to boot, uh, is chunks of sugar attached to it. We've never seen anything like this. And Mr. Lou's like, mm, good, very good. And we knew good. We're like, all right, Mr. Lou, God bless you. We're like, we got dessert on Mr. Lou. We're going to have eat, eat our, our food and we're going to save this for dessert. These crunchy American pastries that are that look so crispy like a waffle coated with this molasses that is shiny with this encrusted chunks of sugar all around and uh we opened the bag oh after the meal we ate everything and because we wanted this american dessert so we popped it in our mouth <sighs> it was crunchy all right but not sweet at all <laughs> the dough was kind of bland and the outside had this extremely salty coating and that was not salt I mean sugar it was chunks of salt that were encrusted to it my dad looked at the bag what did Mr. Lou give us is this expired pretzels pretzels <laughs> we didn't know what they were but we knew they were not sweet at that point and <laughs> for us now we could tell people this is what a pretzel tastes like and at first we didn't like it but now we love it we as an acquired taste when you're not used to something, anything can be an acquired taste. Um, so, when it comes to salvation, many Christians see salvation inside a bag. They see salvation inside a church, inside a book, but they never open it. They never go past the packaging and actually say, have I experienced this? And actually do it. And in this illustration, Salvation is surprising. It's actually, will catch you off guard. Uh, I want to explain to you that uh, Jesus loves to explain things in a simple way. And I'm going to read to you a verse that summarizes the salvation experience for every human being. It's found in John chapter 16. I love reading Jesus' teachings because all of his teachings are so simple and beautiful. John chapter 16 and verse 8 says, And he, Jesus is speaking about the Holy Spirit, he, the Holy Spirit, when He comes, He will convict the world of sin, righteousness, 
and judgment. That's it. This is the experience of salvation. This is pretzel. <laughs> and if you like them, there you go. Um, this is what every, because he, he says it, the Holy Spirit will convict not the Christians, not the Jews. This, the Holy Spirit will convict every human being. And what he begins to convict us of is not what we would expect. Now, you and I can, you know, wrestle with some words, not realizing that we have never really thought about what they actually mean. Now, if the Holy Spirit is going to convict me of something, I should understand what conviction feels like. What does it feel like to be convicted of something? Now, what do you, what do you think are some synonyms to conviction when someone is convicted of something? You know, it's, it's not simply that someone has intellectually convinced you that this is right or that is wrong. It's part of it, but that's not all of it. Um, when my brother and I first came, uh, we were in, one, in an apartment in, in the ghetto of Harrisburg, in a very bad neighborhood. We were in extreme culture shock. We thought, you know, America was like the Dukes of Hazard and Magnum P.I. That, you know, everybody's driving Lamborghinis, and it's not like that at all. Um, or dry, riding sideways on the roads, on the streets. Um, when we came here, two weeks in, someone got shot across the street. Uh, we had... Um, a building full of individuals that were selling drugs and using drugs and boy oh boy it was it was not a good neighborhood so my parents were hesitant to let us go out there and play um, and we had been raised in, in a country where you went out in the morning you came back for lunch you went out again and you came back at evening how pretty much all our neighborhoods used to be like in this country so I've been told but it wasn't like that in that neighborhood and so my brother and I were cooked up in the apartment Kind of like feeling like our kids are feeling right now, like looking out the window, wishing we could be out there, wishing we were a squirrel, at least I could be climbing trees. My brother and I would sit on the third story floor window and looking outside and eventually we'd get bored. We had some toys in, in our apartment, in, in our bedroom. And one of the toys we had acquired was for a game we had never played for before, baseball. Now we didn't know that, you know, for baseball you need a wooden bat my parents bought us an aluminum bat at a store called the Five and Ten, or Five and Dime, uh, a few blocks down. But we were happy. We didn't know. It's a bat. A bat's a bat. And so we had an aluminum bat, and we used tennis balls to play with because we couldn't afford the gloves. So I wanted to practice swinging. I got bored. I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm going to just practice the swinging so we can hit home runs. Now that we learned the game, we, we liked it. It was very fun. So my younger brother, um, he kind of wanted to swing the bat first. And he was protesting that I, as the older brother, exerted my uh, brotherly authority. And I said, I'm going first. And so he didn't stand back far enough. He was kind of like intentionally trying to get in the way. And I said, Marcelo, you, you got to back up. You got to give me space. And my brother got, was upset. And I didn't say it in a very kind way either. And he just stood there. And then I said, I'm going to swing. I'm going to swing. And my brother said, I'm not moving. So, all right, I'll warrant you. And I swung. And needless to say, you know, the the, I would have hit a home run. If that was in a real game, I swung hard. And uh, as I was swinging it back, think, I heard it. The tip of it uh, connecting with his chin out of all places. So thank, thank God it was a grazing, but it did hit the bone because I heard the dink sound. And of course, 
he did what I was hoping he wouldn't do. I was hoping he would punch me, get angry at me, yell at me, but he cried, which is worse, because now my parents are gonna get involved. And uh, of course, he starts crying. My mom and dad come in, and what did you do, Ariel? Oh, I was, I don't know, I was swinging and his chin just got there. <laughs> and of course, my parents are like, uh, my dad's looking at me like, what is wrong with you? How can you do this to your brother? So my mom goes and put ice on my brother's chin and you know, my dad could have spanked me. My dad could have taken away the bat. He could have thrown away the bat. But you know what my dad did? He sat down next to me and he began to talk, tell me, looking back since we were little, it's always been me and my brother. We had moved quite a bit as missionaries. And the one constant, the one constant friend I had was my brother. And he always got my back. Since little, Marcelo, if a stranger would give him a piece of candy, my brother would take it and then go like this. And the, guy, the person would be like, I just gave you a piece of candy, yo boy, boy, are you stingy? And he would say, no, ayer, Ariel, that's me. And then people was like, my mom was like, oh, that's his brother. He's asking for a piece for his brother. And then the people were like, oh, he's so sweet here, you know. Um, but he was thinking of me. I wasn't always like that. Because when I grew up, it was me for a whole year and a half, and then he came along. <laughs> but for him, I've always been there, and he loved me. I was his older brother. My dad's telling me these things, how I will always be his only brother, and that I have to protect him. And as he's telling me these things, and I begin to remember all the times that we've been in different parts of the world, and I'm so glad at recess in this new school, at least I knew my brother and we could play marbles with each other or make new friends. I always had a friend with my brother and I just hit him in the chin with a bat. And as my dad is telling me this, that's conviction. My dad could have said, what you did is wrong. And I would have said, yep, am I in trouble? But that didn't just tell me how wrong it was. What my dad is, he reasoned. He caused me to reason and think about what I had done and why. And the more he spoke, and then he took me to the kitchen where my, my mom had my brother with the ice thingy on his chin. And I saw my brother crying and, and with tears. And I began to cry. I had not experienced that. It hurt me that I had hurt him to the point where I, it caused me to cry. That's conviction of sin. It's not simply that you know that this is right and this is wrong. Oh, it's wrong to steal. But until conviction hits your heart, you're still going to steal. You're still going to lie. You're still going to get angry and lose it and do all these things and justify it. Well, that's just how I am. So when we experience salvation, the Bible has just told us the very first thing the Holy Spirit is going to convict us of is not something comfortable. Just like the first bite into that pretzel, that sweet, crunchy, sugar-coated pretzel was dry, like eating chalk, salty chalk for us that's what it felt like and then the, the big chunks of salt you know it started dissolving into our mouths we we're like oh i need some water some milk some fast uh, um, many christians actually begin to experience a legitimate spiritual experience and because they're not informed as to what salvation is they draw back oh i must have gotten the wrong thing you know, that bag stood there <laughs> top of our refrigerator for a long time. I think all of us ate one piece that day. That's it. That's all we could stomach because it was not what we were expecting. We were not expecting a 
dry, crunchy, salty thing. We were expecting something else. So many Christians or many individuals come to Christianity thinking, oh, I'm going to go into the feel-fuzzy-wuzzy religion. Because Christianity is all about love, and it is. But love is not what we are used to, and our, our idea of love is so out there. Uh, anyways, the experience begins with the Holy Spirit convicting us of that which we don't want to look at in ourselves. I have to be honest with you, when my dad sat down next to me, I wish he would have just taken out his belt or whatever and and that's it, you know, just, I, I, I know what I did, I, I dinked him in the chin with a bat. But inside of me, I couldn't understand why I was actually wanting to recoil for what my dad was doing. My dad was actually speaking to my heart. My, my dad was actually uh, causing me to do something that is all over the Bible. Salvation has always been the same. This idea that God saved one way in the Old Testament and a different way in the New is it's way off. It's like the same as believing that Jesus saves you from hell. That's not biblical. Someone has told you a lie. You need to go back to the Bible. You need to open that bag and put that in your mouth and develop and acquire a taste for it because we are accustomed to tasting something else. Salvation is an acquired taste that once you taste it and you understand why, nothing else will satisfy or, or be as good as what we experience from God. In Isaiah 118, this is an amazing thing. When Isaiah 118 says, Come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Just like my dad. Just like my dad. My dad didn't come out there with wrath and, you know, I'm going to show you not to do that to your younger brother again. It wouldn't have worked. It wouldn't have worked. Isaiah 118, Come let us reason about what, Lord? What do you want to reason to me, with me about? Though your sins are like scarlet, they can be, they will be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they will be like wool. That's what God wants to reason with us. Just like Jesus said in John 16, 8. The very first work that the Holy Spirit does in a human being's heart, and it's not the last, by the way. It's not that, oh, you're eating too many cookies. That's not the all in all of the conviction that the Holy Spirit will come into your life about. Je Jesus understands that we are so visual, so external, that we all immediately almost begin to think about behaviors that have to change. And yet the Holy Spirit begins with behaviors, with the intent of getting down to the heart. My dad began, of course, with the behavior of, what did you do? What did you do? But through that dialogue of wanting to reason, and because I did not get up and say, oh, why are you always, you know, blah, blah, blah. And he started it. I listened. I actually hushed my mouth and listened. My dad began to not just describe the wrongness of my behavior, but how wrong I was as an older brother who was not taking care of his younger brother. And as my, my dad was telling me this, the Holy Spirit brought it home. See, you grew up hearing these things, and I guess it is an advantage that you have something in your head that the Holy Spirit can draw from and say, didn't an older brother mistreat his younger brother in the Bible? Isn't there a story that has an older brother doing bad things to a younger brother. Yeah, he said something like, am I my brother's keeper? Is that who I want to be? Because that's what sin does. That's what Jesus saves us from sin, not from hell. That's what sin does inside of us. It causes us to turn against the best friend that we've always had. Sin leads you to, to think of your spouse as your enemy. 
and you're fighting and you want, you want to just hurt that person. And of course, you know each other so well now, you know where to hit. That's what sin does. And so we think that, you know, salvation is something that we can experience like a vaccine. You know, every once in a while, Easter Sunday, I'll just come Easter Sunday, get my vaccine and go on until next year. And we don't realize that this experience of salvation is a cyclical, ongoing experience. It is wrong to think that something that you experienced 30 years ago is somehow still legit when you have been neglecting the very things that cause that experience to flourish and thrive. Maybe you just haven't been ex ever experienced it in the first place. Maybe all you have is a bag of pretzels up in the, in the cupboard saying, I know pretzels. Have you ever tasted one? No, my mom does all the time. My dad loves them. Have you ever tasted a pretzel? Mm, they're sweet, aren't they? <laughs> you know, two days after we had our experience with the pretzel, Mr. Lou saw us. <laughs> we were coming out and we, did, we didn't realize we needed to think of something to say to Mr. Lou because certainly he saw the exuberant excitement with which we took that back. Ah, we can't wait, we can't wait. <laughs> Mr. Lou saw us and he was like, do you like, do you like pretzel? <laughs> <laughs> Thou shalt not bear false witness, right? Mm -hmm. That's all. It was, it was an, I guess that, that day it was an advantage that we, didn't have, we, we could say we don't speak English. <laughs> no hablo inglés. <laughs> we didn't know what to say to Mr. Lou. Do you like church? Do you like the Bible? Do you like prayer? Do you like prayer? Do you open the bag and taste? Have you done this yourself? What do you think of salvation? What has been your own interpretation of it? And would you want to have an informed experience? a personal, informed experience. You know, we have to move. We're running out of time. The Holy Spirit convicts every human being of three things. We already know what sin is, and we can synthesize sin as simply saying it's bad. It's bad. It's horribly bad, painfully bad. In fact, Romans tells us that the wages of sin is death. And Romans tells us every one of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. It's in us. It's in you already. All of us are kind of isolated with the hopes that we don't get this coronavirus, but there's no way you can isolate yourself from sin. You can go to the highest mountain. You can go to the lowest sea. It's inside of you. You're carrying it with you. You're a carrier. So am I. So sin is bad. It's in us. The second thing the Holy Spirit convicts us of is judgment. Now, we typically have thought of judgment as, you know, my dad's going to come at me with. But, you know, John 3, 16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, so that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. When God the Father gives Jesus, and Jesus is about to experience this giving to its fullness at the cross, he didn't give us, you know, someone so that we can have a nativity scene once a year. He didn't give us Jesus so that we could tell stories about shepherds. He gave Jesus as a substitute sacrifice for your sins. Because the Bible says the wages of sin is death. And that was 
your wages. That's what you earned. That's what you deserve. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. And so this is the judgment that the Holy Spirit will open to your eyes. You have two options. You've done this to your brother. You've done this to your spouse because this is who you are. You don't just do behaviors because you're randomly doing behaviors. You do behaviors because of who you are. You need to change who you are. You need to change your heart. So if you continue with the heart you have right now, this natural heart, you will perish. You will die. You will experience the ultimate death, hellfire. Or as the book of Revelation calls it, the second death. Or Jesus has taken that from you. He has borne the wrath of God. He has taken the negative aspect of the judgment upon himself. But you see, a judge can, doesn't always just condemn you. A judge can also set you free. And we are told that it is God who justifies. And God can justify us and be just at the same time because he, was, he ex ex executed justice on sin on Jesus. And when I, by faith, receive that sacrifice of Jesus by him, by, for me, now I am judged righteous, holy, pure, as if I've never done anything worthy of death. That's part of the judgment. And so if God is going to convict me of sin, God is not going to convict me of sin to tell me, oh, now, now you know why I'm going to get a hold of you. If God is going to convict me of sin, it's to save me. Doesn't that make sense? It's like when you go to the doctor, the doctor doesn't tell you, um, come to my office so that I can diagnose you for cancer. And if you don't have any, I'll give you some. That's, that would be foolish. Who would go to that doctor? And if God only asks you to come so that he can tell you, you're a sinner, yep, you're going to go to hell, you're, you're dead. Who would go to God? No, God says, come and let us reason because I have a plan. I have sent my son. He has borne your guilt and the brunt of my wrath on sin. And he has done that out of love for you and have given him out of love for you. Will you accept this gift? If you say yes, then God the Father judges you righteous and saved for eternity. He gives you the gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ. So the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin, not to discourage us, not to throw us on the ground and stomp on us and fill us full of shame and guilt. The reason the Holy Spirit is convicting us of sin, number one, is because we don't know it. We don't recognize it. Um, we always justify why we lose our temper. We always justify why we tell lies. We always justify. I was telling my dad, he got in the way. His chin hit my bat. <laughs> That's sin. And it took my dad to talk to my heart one-on-one. -on -one for me to be convicted, not simply convinced, but convicted that what I'd done was wrong. So when I apologized to my brother, and I had tears in my eyes, and we hugged, my brother responded, we squeezed, I squeezed him so hard, I hurt my brother. How could I have done that? When my dad saw that, he was moved. My mom was moved. And it wasn't just my brother and I hugging. No, it was all four of us. And my dad prayed. That's what God wants. The reason he convicts you of sin is because sin will separate you from him for eternity. And he does not want to lose you. So when you feel uncomfortable, 
that you yelled at your parents and you slammed the door and you're in your room, you may think you're isolating yourself from God, but the Spirit convicts the whole world, including you in your room, including you with the headphones, including you staring at the phone pretending you're not listening. Well, I guess you're watching this on the phone. <laughs> I, can see, I can guarantee you, God is speaking to you. And He will always start with sin because He loves you. Sin will destroy you. Sin will draw you away from Him. And then He will bring judgment into the picture so that you can recognize that there is a way out, there is a Savior for you. Now, we left out the middle one, righteousness. If we don't have time, I apologize. Um, I'll just simply say, if sin is bad, righteousness is good. And it's not just good behaviors. It's a good heart. It's a pure heart. It's a heart that now is beginning to taste holiness. And at first, yeah, it tastes, but the more you eat it, like me with a pretzel. About 10 years later, I was at a mall. And uh, I passed by a little pretzel, I forget the name of it. Um, it's actually a chain. And uh, I just got a craving for a pretzel. So I went in line, ordered a pretzel, and I got honey mustard to dip in it, dip it in. And I sat down in the cafeteria looking at everybody, you know, just grabbed my pretzel and dipped it. And as I'm eating it, it dawned on me. I remember the first experience I had eating a pretzel. I was pa 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 pa. And here I am paying for it and dipping in things that I thought pretzel and mustard. Oh, who, who likes that? And as I'm eating that pretzel, it dawned on me. I'm American. <laughs> I'm finally American. Uh, the first experience with Mr. Lou and the pretzel, over time, I develop a taste. For at one time, I didn't want to have anything to do with. Christianity is the same. Christianity also is something that at first you might find boring. At first you'll go because your parents tell you, especially during the teenage and young adult years, other things may seem way tastier. The challenge is that if that is your experience, it's because you've never tasted it in the first place. You gotta begin and you gotta continue. The Bible, yeah, when I first started reading it, it felt like there was gazillions of pages here and no pictures. I'm like, man, when I was a kid, the Bible, my Bible had a lot of pictures that this one hasn't any, hasn't any, has some maps, but the words are better. I'm glad I'm here and I hope you'll be there too. So I wanna conclude where we began. There's a reason why we read this experience of the cross. I do hope you have your Bibles with you because we're going to close with a very brief but powerful Bible study. You may have never seen this. We've seen in Luke 23 how they bring these two criminals with Jesus. And the Gospel of Matthew says that both of them were deriding and insulting and mocking Christ. It wasn't that one was quiet and one was you know, saying all these bad things. Both of them were doing it. But both of them heard something Jesus says as they were nailing his hands. Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. Now, you remember what we said in John chapter 16, verse 8? The Holy Spirit is convicting the whole world, including these two individuals. And the Holy Spirit begins by convicting people of sin, then righteousness, and then judgment. And sin is that one experience that many Christians don't realize that that's where salvation begins. And so the Bible tells us you've got to trust the Father. You've got to trust your dad. Because your, your logic will tell you, no, it doesn't make sense that it should start that way. 
But like my dad told me in 1984, son, sometimes you can't trust what your eyes are telling you or your brain's telling you. By faith, you gotta trust what your father is telling you. God the Father has given us his son and he's asking you, do you trust my word, my living word, my son? And here it is, 39. One of the criminals began hurling abuses, blasphemies, insults upon Christ. Get us down from here. Get us down from here. But the other one says, do you not even fear God since you're under the same sentence of condemnation? 41. And we indeed are suffering justly, for we are receiving what we deserve for our deeds. What has the Holy Spirit just convicted this man of? Remember that sequence? And the Holy Spirit will convict the whole world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. This man has just blurted out something that he may have been saying the very opposite. And I'm innocent. You got the wrong guy all along. But now the Holy Spirit is just looking at him and saying, come, let us reason. Why are you here? Your choice is to stop blaming your parents. Stop blaming this person. Stop blaming whatever. You've made choices. You are here. But now you have a choice, an ultimate choice of destiny. Will you accept my conviction that there's sin in you and you've been doing sin, therefore you are a sinner? And this man says, I am here justly. I'm getting what I deserve. I've sinned. He's confessing it. 1 John 1, 9 says that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And he is confessing. The second thing that the Holy Spirit would convict us of is righteousness, what is good. And Jesus said to a rich young ruler who called him good master, he says, no one's good except God. Why are you calling me good? Righteous. For the first time in his whole life, this man has seen some pretty sordid individuals. But as he sees the gentle Christ, Jesus Christ, allowing the soldiers, he's not fighting or cursing blasphemies and saying, hurling all kinds of insults and condemnations on the soldiers. He is serene. He is calm. And he's the one, the only one that suffered beatings and flagellation, and he's just bleeding all over. But he's calm. He's surrendered. Not like them. No one has beat them. No one has punched them. No one has yanked their beard. No one has placed a crown of thorns on their head. And yet, they are just uncontrollable. Yet he is in perfect peace. And what he says, Father, for the Father so loved the world that he gave righteousness, the gift of righteousness in his son, Jesus Christ, so that when you believe in him, his righteous, holy life becomes yours. Listen to what he says next. We indeed are suffering justly, for we are receiving what we deserve for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. Conviction of sin and righteousness is not a theological treaty or a seminary position or theological dissertation. Righteousness is a person, Jesus Christ. And this criminal, in the last, very last moments of his life, He's a Jew. He's probably grown up in synagogue. As a little child, maybe he enjoyed hearing the stories of Moses and Abraham. And as a little child, his heart enjoyed singing the songs and that the rabbi would teach the children about God and his love. 
Maybe as a young child and as a young teenager, there was space for God in his life. But he made choices. And both of them, both of these criminals are just screaming at the top of their lungs, we should not be here, I don't want to be here. And the insults to Christ originally were like this. If you are who you say you are, come down from this cross and get us down here. Get us down from here too. We don't want a cross. We don't want a cross. But now this man sees his cross not as the biggest curse of his life, not as the biggest uh, detriment and, and nuisance of his life. He's beginning to realize out of all the thousands of crosses spread across Jerusalem, in the amazing providence of this Father in heaven, I am crucified next to the righteous Messiah, Jesus Christ. Judgment. Judgment. Ultimate destiny. Where will you be when you die? He's been convicted of sin. He's been convicted of righteousness, of Jesus. What does he say last to Christ? And he was saying, he said to Jesus, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Judgment. That great divide in human history. Jesus says that it will be the day when he separates the sheep from the goats. Where will you be? Still carrying the pretzel bag closed? Still saying, well, my daddy, my daddy tasted it. He said it's good. My mommy has tasted it. She says it's good. My pastor, he's tasted it. Or he says he's tasted it. And he says it's good. You know, for us adults, there are things that we may have been praying, God, take this out of me. Take this out of my life. I don't want this in my life anymore. Sometimes those are the very things that keep us close to him. Sometimes God has to allow our choices to experience the fullness of their earthly consequences so that as we begin to experience these earthly consequences, we can finally realize what is my life about and what about eternal destiny? What about that day of judgment? What about that final demarcation from which it is irrevocable? That moment of separation. Where will I be? And it is those hardships those bitter disappointments that God hopes will lead you to stop griping and cursing and being angry and blaming everybody else and allow the Holy Spirit to convict you and own your part of where you are and why you are where you are. But not simply to shame, but to transform. You see, it doesn't matter if you have five minutes or 50 years. It's still a choice. It's still a choice. And that other criminal, we typically think one was good and one was bad. They were both bad. The difference, one yielded himself to the conviction of the Holy Spirit. The other one hardened his heart to eternal perdition. The other one was spoken by the criminal. How can you say these things? Aren't you, can't your eyes see what I see? Can't your ears hear what, what I hear? No. No, I choose to never open it. I choose to never open the bag. Someone's told me I won't like it. Someone's tasted it and said, oh, it's not what I thought it was going to be. Eh. I'm glad I gave pretzels a second and a third and a fifth chance. If you are regularly opening this book, I want to affirm you. 
But if you're not, I'm inviting you. Taste and see that the, God, the Lord is good. But not because someone else tells you, but because you've tasted yourself. So this weekend is Easter weekend. Typically, all of our churches would have been filled up by people that are good people, but people that have yet to taste salvation because they have yet to yield to the conviction of their sins. And they will die, good people, because they've never received the righteousness of Jesus Christ. God doesn't want simply good people. God wants individuals that have sensed their need of a savior and have cried out, Lord, it's me, save me. And don't save me from this illness. Don't save me from the financial situation. Don't save me for the repercussions that this virus is having in our society. Don't even save me from the virus. Yeah, keep us healthy, but what if you get it? You see, we are afraid of the virus because it might cost us our lives, but you know, wait long enough and you will die anyways. I don't need a virus. I don't need a car accident. I don't need a bullet. I don't need cancer to die. I will die anyways. And these individuals were asking for a useless thing. Get us down from this cross, Jesus. Oh, if you're so good, if you love us, could you just please get us down from this cross? It's so uncomfortable. I will follow you. I'll believe in you if you get me down from this cross. If perchance Jesus would have done that, as the criminals were walking away, Jesus would have said to them, you don't need this cross to die. You will die anyways. You don't need nails going through your hands to die. You have sin in you. And that's why I am in this cross, and this is why I won't come down. I'm not coming down from this cross for you so that I can experience the full brunt of the punishment of your sins, so you can experience the full blessing of my righteous life in yours. What will you choose, my friend? It's not a pretzel bag, but God's holy word. And you may have tasted it and said, not what I thought. I'm offering to you again. God is inviting for you to partake again. What will you say? You know, for some of us, this might be a message that we were not expecting to see. We just stumbled upon it. What's going to happen after this? You may think, well, uh, I don't know. What else? This sermon will end pretty soon, and what's after that? If you are one of those individuals, I want you to take a piece of paper and pencil out I'm going to invite you to write a website, hopeawakens.com, hopeawakens.com. And I'm going to invite you to register. I'm going to invite you to register there because what you will be um, invited to experience is going through this. You'll be tasting the pretzel quite frequently. And uh, by the end, if you're faithful, if you're persevering, can guarantee you your taste buds will change. <laughs> I do remember and chuckle every time I think of that day in that cafeteria of that mall. Me chugging down and licking my fingers after finishing that pretzel thinking, yep, I'm an American. I know I am a Christian because this is my greatest delight to spend time hearing God speak to my soul through His Holy Word by the guidance of His Spirit. And I'm inviting you to have that experience in your life as well. I pray you will say yes. 
Father, thank you. Thank you for offering me the gift of salvation so many times. Lord, you know us. You know that it is uncomfortable to be convicted of sin. Our pride rises up. Our self-justification intervenes. And we delay receiving the blessing that you so desire to bestow upon us. Father, I want to pray for my friends, individuals that may have grown up like me, hearing things like this over and over. And maybe they have a calloused heart, but today the Holy Spirit, your Spirit has broken through and they're beginning to sense and experience conviction of their sin in their heart. And they're realizing, I need salvation. As your Spirit has been reasoning with us, Lord, as that invitation of come, let us reason, though your sins are dark, though your sins are deep and re unremovable from you, I can make you white as snow, white as wool, with the righteousness of my Son, Jesus Christ. I pray, Father, that individuals right now in their hearts, though they may not understand everything, they can understand their experience and they're realizing, I need a Savior. And right now they can ask, save me. I've shared with them that promise of 1 John 1, 9, that if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all sins. And if there are things they need to confess to you and you alone, I pray that they would do so right now. No matter how dark, no matter how painful, Lord, give them the courage through your Spirit to confess. And that the same Spirit that convicts us of our sins, that same Spirit can convict us of your righteousness, of your Son and your love for us, that you want to save us. You didn't send your son to condemn the world, but that through him we might be saved. Help us to believe in that. And Father, help us to make this decision over and over, this surrender of our will, this seeking after for you, this seeking after your grace. Because the day will come when you will come in your kingdom. And Father, on that day, we want to be with the sheep. I want to be your little lamb. But right now, I want you to be my shepherd. And I, Father, I pray that my friends will respond in like manner, that they will let you be their good shepherd. As you guide their lives, Father, I'm confident they will also say, the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. Thank you for this time together. And thank you for your word. Thank you for your son, Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.